Good morning, everyone. Are you enjoying this festival retreat? Yeah. So am I. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, I thought today I would try to talk a little bit about uh, the spiritual awakening, kind of in a, a continuum, a seeming continuum or a spectrum, uh, because a lot of times people are very curious about this, and as, as Pete was just sharing in his song, you, you don't have to understand it, you don't have to figure it out, and you certainly don't have to fix yourself, which a lot of our conditioning was always about fixing ourselves, like fit in. Look at all the other people, they're functioning. Get to it. And then we would say, what, did, what do I have to do? And then we heard all these things, and it, it didn't really quite land with our soul. You know, it was like, it was almost like a, in a different direction of what our soul was calling us to. And I mean by that, you know, the world is, is always about bigger, better, faster, more, accumulating, possessing, competing, being good at competing, winning. And uh, even from that perspective, they say, no, it's, of course, yes, it's about survival, but you want to do more than survive, you want to excel. But excel at bigger, better, faster, more. <laughs> uh, excel at being superior. You know, it was excel, but there was a definition that was really about the self-concept. You know, really make something of yourself. And a lot of us heard that when we were growing up. You know, you know you've got to be determined. You've got to make something out of yourself. You've got to carve out your niche. You've got to be some body. Isn't that a contrast to what Netta was singing <laughs> last night? I am not a body. I am free. This pressure, this push, this striving to be somebody, as if you've got to stand out. And in this world, in the world of competition, it's like stand out, build your skills, build your resume, become something, become noteworthy, you know, and somehow you can earn your worth. If you work at it long enough, and you hang in there long enough, somehow you'll get the accolades, you'll get the awards, you'll get the money, the possessions and everything, and then you can take a sigh of relief that you finally made it uh, in the world. And now we have A Course in Miracles that's basically saying, well, the whole world is learned, and you've learned this world step by step whatever, without really pausing to say, what am I doing all this for? And again, as Pete's Unwind Your Mind song was saying, you know, you already are what you're looking for. It's not something that you build up and you arrive at after you've done and learned and accomplished all these things. It's actually uh, an unwinding, it's an undoing. It's a dismantling, and yeah, we like that. We like watching Neo go through his his uh, initiations and his dismantling 
lessons in the matrix. Something in our soul that related to Neo going through a dismantling to experience the prophecy, you are the one. It's the same for all of us, that's why we like that. We like the Truman Show when Truman's part of some kind of a skit or thing that he doesn't even understand. It's a show, it's an act, it's a performance and at some point he starts to get little signs and symbols that it's all just a show. When Sylvia, you know, breaks on the set and, and uh, has her little pin on her sweater, when will it end? And, and is there basically to meet with him and when she gets a moment with him in the sand, she starts pulling up the sand on the beach. None of this is real, it's all a show, it's all an act. You know, she's got a few minutes to, to let the spirit come through her and tell Truman, you know, that this isn't real. And yet all of our programming and conditioning and everyone who believes in the ego, everyone who seems to come to time and space, to come to this planet, has an unconscious belief in the reality of the images and the reality of this belief in separation from God. And so it looks like a process of undoing and dismantling. Even that, it's, it's an illusion of a process, but while you're going through it, you don't know that. You just know that you just have to take one step at a time and something is loosening in your mind. Like you're loosening from the ego's grip, little by little, and you're trusting, you're just having faith. Okay, Spirit, keep, keep it up, keep calling me, keep drawing me. I'm going to go for this. this. My destiny is to wake up and know my spiritual reality. And we have people, like Jesus seemed to come along a couple thousand years ago and basically say, you know, my kingdom is not of this world. Even though even the apostles, a lot of the apostles and many of the people around him were looking for an earthly kingdom. Were looking for him to overthrow the Romans, you know, to set things right, to free the Jewish people. You know, there was all these kind of political uh, interpretations. But his journey was really about we have a spiritual kingdom. We were created by a loving God and we have a spiritual kingdom and the kingdom of heaven is within. It's hard for human beings to understand what that means. The kingdom of heaven is within. They, they tend to look, is, is it within my body? You know, how can I find it in there? And it's not the kind of within. He was talking about within the mind and yet this whole world of time and space was made to keep you mindless, to forget that you're a mind, to bring in a substitute, a body and a brain. So even uh, consciousness, uh, there are a lot of scientists that are now starting to get really interested in consciousness. We call them quantum physicists. They're quite interested in consciousness. But even those, you hear them in What the Bleep, they still talk about the brain a lot as if consciousness had something to do with the brain, and the brain is just a projection, just like the body is. The brain has nothing to do with consciousness. Neurotransmitters and fascination with studying different parts of the brain, and right brain and left brain and all this and that, all of that's part of the projection. Consciousness has really nothing to do with the body or the brain at all. The brain is like a reflection of consciousness. But these little neurotransmitters, these little electrical impulses, are not really thoughts. 
Jesus even makes a little comparison to give it context in the Course, and he's, to think that these little impulses are your thoughts is like holding up a match to the sun. That's how insignificant these little electrical impulses are. And really all the behaviors of the body are just projections and reflections of what's happening in consciousness. And yet you know growing up, I mean, how many discussions did you have at the kitchen table about consciousness? You know, <laughs> probably the most important topic <laughs> you could have talked about. <laughs> Would it be nice instead of, you know, how's your toast and do you have enough food for school and everything if we sat down and your mom and dad said, let's just talk about how is your consciousness doing today? How do you feel? What are you thinking? You know, that would have been like an ideal scenario to get us on this journey, spiritual journey, in a quick way. But for most of us, we have to wait till we're, you know, teenagers or young adults before we start to pick up in those books, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Robert Pierzig, go, wow, Phaedrus, and you start, ooh. I remember when I was in, I was a slow starter. I, I actually was in uh, university, and when I first got into university, I think my second year, I shifted over to uh, urban planning. And when I was in the College of Design, Art, and Architecture, one of my, uh, I think it was theory of, of design uh, professors, design, he, assigned reading was, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Piercing. But I was so anti-school. I was in college, but I was kind of already feeling like an, like really not that interested in learning that along with the other, a lot of other assigned reading, I didn't read it. I actually had assigned reading. Jesus was trying to get me in earlier there. Assigned reading in university, and I don't think I read it till like four or five years later. When I was on my own, I said, what is this book that I've got? You know, you, you buy all these books and then you don't want to read them. You don't want to do the reading assignments. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this thing? And a little paperback. And then I read it and I was like, wow, there's something important there. I was getting introduced to Zen there in university, even though I had all these other papers and projects and things I was supposed to be doing. I was drawn, finally, when the time was right, to read that book. And that's what I'm going to talk about, the spectrum, where at the one end of the spectrum, it's really like Spirit or Holy Spirit or Jesus trying to get your attention, like that assigned reading book that I, it was dropped into my lap, but I didn't read it until I was ready. And many people do that with the Course. I hear those stories all over the world in many different countries and cultures, like, oh yeah, I bought that book and I had it in my my house, it came, I know, they know exactly how they got, it got into their house, and then it seems like it's there for months or years. Oh, that was, it's such a big, heavy book. Yeah, I use it as a doorstop to keep my door, or a plant stand, you know, I put my plants on it or whatever. They didn't actually read it, and some of them actually felt like they just kind of opened it up and looked at it, and they went, whoa, and they shut it real quick, and they said, uh, that's some deep stuff. I don't even I'm not I'm not ready for that. Sometimes they remember saying to themselves, I am not ready. So it gets stuck on packed away in boxes, used in crazy ways, and then 
And that's just the phase that they're not ready for. Then when they do finally get into it, I've heard stories of people tearing pages out of it one by one and throwing them in the toilet, uh, throwing the book in the river, um, hurling the book. Some of them will sit there and tell me for five minutes, they will tell me the different times in their life when they've hurled the book multiple times against the the wall until it starts to just break apart. And others work with it and they're just highlighting it and you know they, they carry it around like it's a, a sacred book and sacred text and they they won't go anywhere without it. They put it in their backpack, they carry it everywhere. So you hear all these stories, but that's at the beginning of working with a tool that's designed to help you completely unwind your mind and dismantle from all your perceptions of the world. And that's a fascinating part because it's also usually pretty difficult because you've spent so much time and energy and money going in the direction of bigger, better, faster, more, trying to build a self-concept. And you thought you were doing a good thing by building, building, building. And then you do all this building and then at some point you get this small, still voice that's kind of saying, reverse. Now we have to go in the opposite direction. And the more that you've built, the harder it seems to reverse. Because there's a sense of sacrifice, like, oh, this is going to be, oh, I'm going to end up homeless and starved and and just, it's going to end up bad. Uh, because that's what the world teaches, you know, if you're not prepared to meet the world on the world's terms, then the option is loneliness, isolation, death, um, a slow, painful <laughs> death, you know, it, that's the way the world is set up, to, to keep you... The world was made as a distractor device to keep you from finding who you truly are. It's like a veil drawn over the truth, over the light, to keep you so mesmerized, so hypnotized by the images and the stories and the false pursuits and to keep you so driven in a productivity that's meant to, what, increase the gross national product of your country. I mean, you start to wonder, what is this? Is this a scheme? Is this a, some kind of a big scheme I've been bought into and I've been doing all these things that were difficult and hard and challenging and then now I find out at some point that my soul is in there, my spirit's like calling saying, come back to me. Come back to me. Come come inside. Come within and, and find out who I am. And then when we make contact with the Spirit, the Spirit is so gentle. It's always like, stay with me. Stay with me. Just stay with me. Just have faith in me. Just keep trusting me. This small, still voice is saying, I've got your back. I, I know what your best interests are, and it's not what you think. And the reason you're so frustrated and stressed out and and feeling so that just everything is so challenging is because you've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been listening to the ego. You've been listening to a death wish. It not only wants you to feel guilty, it's more than just guilty. It wants you to, to accept that you aren't who you really are. And that's what a death wish is. It's trying to fool you about your identity and keep you believing 
that you're small, that you're tiny, that you're just this tiny little person in a vast, vast cosmos of time and space, and that you don't even deserve to ask for more. You don't, aren't even worthy. You just take your part, play your tiny part, grow old, get sick and die, like everybody else. You know, it just, it, it will hammer you with this. And every time you start to believe there's something more than this, then it will come in very harsh and say, be practical. That's not practical. Spirituality is not practical. It's not going to leave you with anything. You're going to be real sorry if you go on this journey. The ego will tell you the spiritual journey is for quacks. That's weirdos and quacks. And if you want to end up a weirdo or a quack, then go ahead. But you're still going to grow old, get sick and die, but you'll grow, be a quack growing old and getting sick and dying. And it says, that's even worse. <laughs> Why not be successful and grow old and get sick and die instead of being weird and a quack? So you see the ego, is, it doesn't want you to, to even turn in the direction of the Spirit. Meanwhile, the Spirit, Jesus is saying, I am calling you out of the world. And this is from a presence that said in the Bible 2,000 years ago, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. From a presence that has transcended the ego. Wow, that's a way shower. That's, that's a way shower. One, if you're going to have someone you're going to follow, or someone that's going to guide you and lead you, wouldn't you want one that has transcended the error, instead of those that are muddling around in the error and charging you tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to listen to one who's still muddling and, and struggling in the error. It doesn't make any sense. You would go for a way shower who has transcended. And that's the presence that people feel with The Course in Miracles that I felt. I certainly, when I picked it up, I mean, I, I would pick up lots of books and I could pretty much flip through the book and just to start to discern where the author was coming from. What were some of the underlying assumptions and beliefs of the author of a book. Not with the Course. When I picked up the Course, I lost my breath. I lost my breath entirely and I, I just could barely utter, you know, three or four words. Who wrote this Course? And <laughs> it was like a, a stunning uh, feeling. And then before I could even even think of an answer, it, it, a feeling washed over me and it was like the author is not in this world. There is no author of this book in this world. It was like a transcendent author and that was a powerful experience. That's the first book I picked up where I went through the whole book and I felt like the author was not in time and space. So I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. If I really go for this, who knows what will become of me? Who knows what will become of my career aspirations or my worldly life aspirations? I don't know. I'm just going to dive in, but I have no idea what will become of me. So that's, that's more at the beginning of the spectrum when you first start to get your calling. And many of you can relate to that. You know exactly what I'm talking about because we've gone through this feeling of like we're we're receiving a calling. Not always like a, a clear-cut calling, like uh, like 
Mother Teresa of Calcutta, you know, she was on a train in India, in rural India, when she got her calling. But her calling was really to serve the poorest of the poor, and, and it was quite clear-cut. And she went right about it, and she stayed with it for decades. But some of you are noticing that you're getting a calling, but it's not coming with that same clear direction of specificity that Mother Teresa had. Even Gandhi, you know, when he was getting into his calling, um, he could feel it coming, but he went over to South Africa, and then when he came back from South Africa, he, he basically toured all over India, because he felt this calling, but he didn't know exactly what it was. So he thought, I better go meet the people. So he took trains all over India, just to really hone in on what is that calling. How does this play out for me? Of course, in miracles would call it your special function. You have a special function using your skills and abilities that you developed at an, on an ego framework, but then when you give them over to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will use those same abilities and skills that are already there to unwind you from the self-concept and bless the whole universe. So whatever those skills are. Eric was up talking to Kirsten about that and you were saying there's some creative things and I bet you even have some tech skills that maybe you don't consider so creative. They're more associated with the job, the work. But the Holy Spirit can use whatever's there. Holy Spirit can use tech skills even. I mean, I, I did not like computers. I remember through, <laughs> through my 10 years of university, I did everything I could to avoid and resist computers. I mean, and that, that's talking, that's going back a few years when they had giant machines in rooms that had these little cards with holes punched in them. And some of you might remember the early, early, early days. This is pre-Apple. <laughs> this is way back, you know, MS-DOS and big, huge mainframe computers. And I just was like, I don't want to spend my life around these big machines with a bunch of cards. You know, I, it didn't, I didn't have an attraction there. And then as it went on, I still wasn't, even though computers, technology was like there just to be used, um, I had a bit of an aversion to it. And it's so funny, now decades later, some people call me the tech mystic. <laughs> I, I've got tech thrown on front of the mystic word. <laughs> because I just was willing, you know. I mean, I just, you should have seen me all those days, you know, where um, Jesus is like, I'm using these old-fashioned phones and paying the phone company all this money. And Jesus started talking to me about VoIP. And I'm like, VoIP? What is VoIP? Voice over Internet Protocol. It's what they use nowadays for Skype and so many things that we take for granted. And this was many years ago. Jesus is talking to me about VoIP. And I'm like, VoIP? That sounds really technical. He's like, yeah, well you're going to have to start using it because you're going to be communicating with people all over the world and your old phone company bills, your old long distance calls of hundreds of dollars is not going to work. You need to learn these kind of things. I think I use Vonage. Some of you might remember Vonage was one of the early ones and then he got me into it. And then um, as the years go by, different things would come in. I remember one time he was like, go to YouTube and I was like, YouTube? How do you even spell it? Is it U-T-U-B-E? He said, no, it's Y-O-U-T-U-B-E. 
I said, what's YouTube? Or Laverne, who's down in Mexico, coming to me one day, David, I found this thing called Spreaker. I said, Spreaker? Is it Speaker? No, it's Spreaker. Spreaker. What is Spreaker? So I'm, they call me a tech mystic, but all I know is I keep getting these things that keep coming to me. Facebook. Facebook? What is that? You know, and the, these things come along and they're all part of the plan. They're all to be used, but I'm just innocent and I don't know what they mean. And so that's why when we begin to, the journey on that end of the spectrum, it's more important that we're just open-minded and willing than that we know a lot about spirituality. In fact, really, the, the less we know about spirituality is actually the better. Because I know many people who are Catholic, who've been raised Catholic, and they had a heck of a time with The Course in Miracles. Because the definitions that Jesus was bringing forth in the Course were so different. Atonement had a whole different meaning. And, and sin had a whole different meaning. And, and the Holy Spirit had a whole different meaning. And it's like they were like, oh, now I've got to unlearn my entire associations with all these words and learn new meanings. Like he's using these words to point me in a new direction. And so to the extent that you've got a lot of past learning and even past associations around spirituality, those will be the inhibitors. Because he, he wants to unwind the mind from what you b have learned before in the past and take you into what Buddha called emptying the mind. Jesus is doing the same thing. Some of you might remember Lesson 189. Simply do this, be still, lay aside all thoughts of what you are and what God is. It sounds very Buddhist. Jesus and Buddha are both on the same wavelength. They're, they're saying the same thing, you know, come inside. Let go, let go, release, keep coming, build your faith. And that's at the entry point. And for many of you it's like, well, how does this even work with survival? You know, I've, I've had jobs, I've had careers, I have skills, I have abilities. And many of you have sputtered a bit trying to make it in the world and have been tempted to think of yourself as failures because you've sputtered and you haven't been able to like really hit your stride, hit your sweet spot, hit the groove and and make it and be successful as the world would define it. And actually, Jesus says you can't judge your advances from your retreats. Actually, when you thought you were failing, when you were judging yourself as a failure, that was Jesus underneath helping shoot down things and close doors and block you from succeeding so that you could answer the call and come inside and know who you are. I had a friend of mine who was, had, some of you know Donna Marie Carey, amazing voice. She was one of the early ones that traveled with me back in 1992 and we hit the road together. And that was a big step for her. She had a daughter Rachel and a husband Lynn and at the time and you know to go hit the road and and start trusting Jesus in a real deep way. That was a huge leap of faith. But, and she even doubted it all. She'd have these amazing lyrics that would come through her and she would say, you know, what? Jesus is not going to be using some country girl, country girl from Kentucky with a twang 
uh, you know, he's he's not going to use me. And I said, well, he is using you right now. <laughs> you know, Real Love and all these songs. When she traveled with me, a whole album came through uh, that were just these most transcendent songs. And yet, the part of our mind that believes that we're of this world it reacts in a very defensive uh, way to the calling. When you start to get the calling of your heart, it, it will come up with all kinds of reasons all kinds of sabotage reasons to shoot it down. And when you feel like you're failing in this world, just often, often it's it's just the way is being made clear for you to answer the call. So when you seem to be failing and losing, actually you're you're taking strides inward towards your ultimate calling. And the world would say, that's terrible, you're, what make something of your life, you're just a loser. And then the Spirit's like saying, no, good, just keep coming. All things are working together for good. You're dismantling and just continue with the dismantling. Just keep coming inside. If you think of Jesus, how simple he was. He was very present. But he didn't have fancy titles. He didn't have, he didn't carry around a wallet with lots of money and, and credit cards. Of course, they didn't have such things back then, but even coins or money. Uh, he didn't have a lot of education as the world would describe it, but he was very interested in the prophets and and the scriptures and and felt there was some kind of calling that he had to go with and had to answer, and he did. And that's what makes him the way shower. He simply was presented with an alternative direction to the world. He followed that direction inward and then he came to proclaim what he found and discovered about our true identity. Very much like the Plato analogy that I mentioned, the cave analogy. You know, when someone broke free from the cave, went out, found the light, saw the puppeteers, saw everything that was going on underneath the shadows, and came back to tell all the prisoners, you know, that prisoners thought he was crazy and killed him. It's the the Plato cave analogy came before Jesus, but it was almost like forecasting Jesus that he would be hated and crucified for delivering this message of love and light that we are not of this world. So that's more at the beginning end. Then I would say, what do you have as you go on this journey and you start to answer the calling of your heart? What do you have coming next? Well, that's where function comes in. That you, some of you had a tour today of the monastery. A lot of you have been watching the YouTubes or listening to the speakers or, or the live broadcasts and so on and so forth. That's just a symbol of letting those skills and abilities be used in a communication function, and that's really all it is. Is you're you're going to get comfortable about sharing these beautiful ideas, about sharing this love in a variety of ways under the spirit's direction. And that's more the middle of the spectrum, when you start to get more and more into your function, when you start to feel more comfortable at being done through, whether it's uh, you know, putting up a tent or, or weeding, or whether it's a communication function, a sound function with the sound team, a camera function, function that involves broadcasting or editing books or formatting books or whatever, those are just ways that the Spirit can use your skill 
to undo the doer, to undo the belief that you are the one doing those things. Because with the doer comes this evaluation. How good am I doing? Am I doing good enough? You know, there's a pressure that comes on with being identified with the doer. But when you're done through, there's a lightness that comes in. And uh, it was so great. Pete did such a beautiful job. He was so transparent. He came and he just disclosed exactly what he was feeling. And it was all done with a desire to connect. Like, I just want to feel you all. I want to feel you're all with me. That's so beautiful. There was, Spirit wanted to use Pete today, but also Pete had knows from experience that it's best to be transparent. It's best to lay things out on the table. It takes the pressure off of getting trapped in this kind of doer, performer construct and then feeling the pressure of having to do something for other people. That's, we all know that. When we're, whether we're working in a, in a job or a career where we have to please the boss or please the, the company owner or whatever, it doesn't feel good to feel like you have to perform or else. Perform or else you lose your job. Perform or less you are demoted. Perform or less, you know, there will be punishment or consequences. There's no fun in that. And in the end, being a human being, uh, holding on to the construct, the mask of, of the personality starts to feel heavy because that seems to be tied into that whole system, that whole machine of perform or else. You will face negative consequences. Even in families, you know, here's the roles. Fulfill the role or you're out. And many a teenager have <laughs> said, those are the options. <laughs> All right, I'm out. I think Kirsten, wasn't it Kirsten, are you here? Maybe when she was 15? I think that's when she left, left home for the first time. But even when she was like three years old, she, wanted, she would push her mother's hands away. She wanted to tie her own shoestrings. Even with the mom figure, get away from those shoes. There was, a, there was an, a, an independence that was there. And the spirit will use that, even that little spunk, to say, okay, my way or the highway? Okay, let's try the highway then. Even as a little girl, she had got so upset with her, her family when she was quite young um, that she had basically uh, threatened to leave home as a young child, not even 15. And, uh, and her mother, who's part of our community, Jackie, she said, okay, then let's pack your bag. She called her bluff. <laughs> <laughs> and then little Kirsten packed her bag with her mother's help, and then her mother gave her a hug and said, there you go, out the right shoulder to the door, and then Kirsten began walking and walking, and each step she took, it was like her whole world was unraveling, like, pack your bag. She thought the reaction would be, no, please don't go. You know, she was used for bartering. Well, Jackie <laughs> was pretty tuned in. Pack your bag, let's help you go. And then she just, Jackie watched her as she walked out. And then Jackie called the neighbor and said, Kirsten's coming by. You know, and she only got up to the neighbor's where she turned around and came back. Running to Jackie's arms. Don't you love me? I thought you loved me. Yes, I love you. You know, <laughs> It was a way that the Spirit called the bluff, 
but still was like, try it out. You see the, the, the grace of try it out for yourself. Even though you're a young child, you're walking out into this world and you try it out. It wasn't like trying to hold her back. And I think all of us can relate to that story, even in our adult lives, that, that some of you might remember um, the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? And you might remember the physicist uh, Fred Allen Wolf at the very end. That was the last scene of the movie, with his hair flying all over the place. Don't just take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful way to end a quantum physics movie, a down-the-rabbit-hole movie. Don't just take my word for it. Try it for yourself. And that's what we're doing here. That's why we're all here, out here in this rural canyon, is because we're interested in the try it for yourself part. We're interested in building our confidence, building our trust, building our faith, just to be able to take those unwinding steps in the direction of true freedom, of freeing our minds from the ego. In a world which seems to be all based on ego and, and trying to solve the problems and frustrations by building a life in the world, Jesus is saying, no, come into your mind and I'll work with you. And basically all the main steps that we take are really lessons for us in our mind. There aren't really personal lessons because the main lesson is forgiveness, is undoing the identification with the persona, with the personality. And we have to admit, none of us were trained for that, so it's going to take a lot of trust. And so that's what the middle of the spectrum is all about. It's about building trust, meeting your mighty companions. Jesus even says, you will not go on alone from here. Mighty companions will walk with you. Well, look around. These are the mighty companions of your mind. It's not that you're dependent on them in an external way, but they're just reflections of your own desire for awakening. And then, let's talk about the, uh, where is this all heading? It's nice to know that our, our skills and abilities can be used for a time to loosen our mind from the ego, but wh what comes past that? What's all this stuff about the world's an illusion? What's all this stuff about none of it was real and it never happened? What's all this stuff about, even before that, uh, the script is written, you know, what is that? That's so far from our everyday human awareness. Where is this heading? Well, it's just heading in the same direction where you have to let go. I mean, um, Kirsten and I, we've had some travels. There was, some of you have heard of the, the Columbia Coffee Park uh, parable where we were down in Columbia and we went out to this uh, rural, it was almost like a coffee amusement park, if you can even imagine that, you know. For us, we had the same reaction. It's like, what is this place? It's like a coffee amusement park, you know. And they had little coffee stands with pictures of Juan Valdez. Uh, and we're just like, you know, strange idea. Coffee amusement park. But there was coffee all over the place and you, beautiful trees and cute little things you could see. But we were out there. And on this one particular day when we went out there, Kirsten just dropped into a mystical experience. And she was very, very childlike. And um, we would go to the little coffee stands where they had 
different varieties of coffee, and she would look at the menu, but she looked over at me and she said, I can't read. I can't, suddenly I can't read. She looked at it and she could not, and this wasn't in Spanish, but <laughs> some of it was, but some of it, you know, it was just, it was in English, but she couldn't read the English. And then she had difficulty walking. Uh, she had difficulty putting one foot in front of the other. Literally, as the day went on, I just had to just take her hand like I was holding the hand of a toddler because she couldn't read. She went more into this place of not knowing what the world was and what it was for. And this was just a, an early mystical experience. There was another time we were at our friend Regina Don Akers. We were at her home in uh, North Carolina and we were all having lunch. And you know, some of you have heard the parable where Regina came out, she brought drinks, she brought, had made sandwiches, and Kirsten reached down to pick up a sandwich for lunch, and just as she picked it up, her eyes got real big, and she just started staring at the sandwich and the hand, like she'd never, ever seen a sandwich, and never, ever seen a hand. It just stopped, and it just was... And Regina and I were talking, we looked over, we saw Kirsten just staring at her hand and the sandwich, and she, did, she didn't know what it was, she didn't know what should happen next, she didn't know what a mouth was, or a bite, or chewing, or anything. It was just, it just, she went right into that moment of, I do not know what anything is for. Of an actual experience behind those course lesson words. Nothing I see means anything. That was, that was an actual experience, a mystical experience of the actual meaning behind those words that Jesus is pointing to. And, and the world would say that's dysfunctional. If you freeze and you just suddenly don't know what anything is, the world would say, ooh, you've gone into some kind of psychotic break, when actually this whole world is a psychotic break. Psychosis is a break from reality and this projected Perceptual world is a break from reality. Reality is abstract love and light. So it's, you see the difference. This is where the tables turn when you believed that what you were experiencing in time and space was real and it's not. And love and light is real and you don't know what love and light is but when you have a mystical experience the whole table gets turned right side up and suddenly you, for one instant you go into a state of a connection with reality. And they're very rare, and that's why they're dismissed. A lot of psychology, psychotherapy will even dismiss these things and say, oh, you had a psychotic episode, you were dysfunctional. But actually, it was a moment of, of becoming real. And that's how flipped around it is. And, and, so in our spiritual community of, of these years of being done through, done through, done through uh, with travels and talks and dances and gatherings and movie gatherings and, and online things and on and on and on, it's not that surprising when someone in our community uh, goes into a mystical experience and basically loses all contact with what the world would call linear time. They just go into this state of like a, everything is suspended as, and then literally forgotten. And it's gotten to the point where it's not that uncommon. But you see, Jesus is still there. It's, 
I was there to take Kirsten's hand. All, at times when we've had these mystical experiences, different ones that have even been part of our community, Helena Hunason's over in, in uh, Sweden now, different ones have had these experiences. And then one happened last night. Last night at Netta's concert, I was sitting next to Svava, and then Svava just, I looked into her eyes and I could see that she started to get very, very dizzy in the middle of the concert. Very, very dizzy and very, very disoriented. And then she told me that after getting really dizzy, then it was like suddenly the, the sounds and the the music, everything, it was like, it was just like stimulation. And she even tried to just cover her ears because she had reached a stimulation threshold that she was about to pass through. Like any sound, any, was overstimulation. And she was right in the middle of a concert, so she just tried to cover her ears. And then, as the concert was kind of winding down, I saw her just sitting there still, and she had this look on her face, and then, and then... She said, oh, I think I, I need to go. And very slowly, we walked through, directly through the flap of the, of the tent and over to the car. I got her into the car, but it just went deeper and deeper as we even drove up here. And by the time we made it over to Angel's Landing, um, I looked over at her, and she was touching the, the door handle on the inside of the vehicle with a look, a look of like, what is this? She had, she was going into the mystical state where she did not understand. She, the next step was to pull the, the knob to go out, and she was just over there like a little child, of like a, almost like a baby touching something for the very first time in an exploratory way. She was just touching, touching the handle. And then she slowly got out, I kind of took her hand and slowly to the front door, came in, shut the door, turned it off. And then I went in to, to uh, just begin to, to get ready for bed and, and everything. And she, when I, she was still out in the hallway that comes in and she was, she'd been touching the walls. She was, she was just touching the walls of the, of the hallway, just and then at some point she told me that she thought, oh, I, oh yeah, and she had this thing, it was her purse, but she didn't know what a purse was, and then she kept trying and trying to hang the purse up like she'd do in a natural way to find the hook, and then she told me she, she finally got it up there, but she didn't know what she'd done, and then she spent more minutes fishing around the hallway for the purse, but she just put the purse on the wall. It was a very faint memory of a purse, and that something must be done with this purse. But it was already done, but she didn't know it. And then she came into where the couches were, and she looked at this kind of configuration of couches like she'd never seen anything like it in her life, like kind of in a, a square. And, she, and it was moving very, very, very slowly, and, and then she kind of I checked on her a few times. She went off to the kitchen, but she didn't recognize anything in the kitchen. And it it just was, this is where it's all heading. I'm telling you all this, <laughs> just so when it happens you don't freak out. Uh, 
But but this is what happens when you're done through. All these songs come through you. When you sing for Jesus, you shine for Jesus, you laugh for Jesus, you give everything over in purpose. That's all part of the unwinding. That's more the middle of the spectrum. And then, in the end, if this world is based on amnesia, let's talk about amnesia. This world is based on amnesia of God. God has been forgotten. That's the only reason this world of perception could even seem to arise, is pure love and divinity has been forgotten. So there's been an amnesia of God, and what does everybody want to do now is to know God. And know I am one with God, like Jesus said, the Father and I are one. So we're, we're going towards God, and there's been an amnesia of God. So what's the solution? It's reverse amnesia. You're going to have to learn to forget this world to remember God. Now, to your typical psychologist or therapist, they would say, uh, you're in bad shape if you're trying to forget this world. It's not going to help your survival. It's not going to help your social skills. It's not going to help your interpersonal relationships. And psychologists won't even talk about reverse amnesia. Maybe you hear it from me, but you're not going to go in, oh yeah, you've just had amnesia, you've forgotten divinity, now you're going through your simple reverse amnesia process where you will forget everything that you have ever learned and, and wake up in, in the love and light of God. You know, that you might have to go to a transpersonal therapist. <laughs> we actually have probably have some people here that are actually transpersonal therapists. As part of your joining with spirit, you're, you're helping people unwind and unravel from the ego. That's what true therapy is. It's like spiritual psychotherapy. That's kind of a neat phrase if somebody says, what is this Course in Miracles anyway? You can say, it's, oh, it's just spiritual psychotherapy. If they say, what the heck is that? It's just unwinding from the ego. And, and then they have to see it more demonstrated in you because the words will fail. <laughs> like, I still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I read that book that you told me to read, and I still don't know what you're talking about. So it's more your attitude will have to be that love and lightness and joy and, and non-judgment. That will be a draw. That, that will bring up some curiosity. Why are you so happy? Why are you so consistently happy? That will be the, the way that you'll be teaching the Course, is through your, your presence and your attitude. And that will be the way. But I'm giving you like the range of the spectrum here because, because Spirit's in charge and because you can start to say that during the beginning of the spectrum and during the middle and even during the end, there's always going to be that trust and faith required to just, okay, I will step back and let him lead the way. I, I will keep moving towards this, even though the ego is screaming something's gone terribly wrong and you're going to be sorry for ever having taken the first steps on this path and like the matrix why oh why didn't i take the blue pill you know <laughs> and the ego will come in many many forms to try to say stop you know you're just going to disappear if you uh, go in that direction and indeed there will seem to come a point where you will come to the threshold of, of the disappearance of the universe. Uh, but that threshold 
comes with much, much, much being done through, much mind training, much devotion, you know, to put it, <laughs> right when I say much devotion, <laughs> the hummingbird stops right in front, like, good point. <laughs> like, emphasis on much devotion, yeah, yeah, that, that the hummingbird stopped right there to just give us our exclamation point for that one. But that's, that's to try to give you a context of this whole spectrum, so that that you shouldn't be so frightened when you move along into this. The fear will come up, but that's when you need the faith and trust to keep moving, to keep opening, to keep letting go. And and realize that that faith is, is your security, that trust is your safety. And it's in the Holy Spirit, it's not it's not based in trust in something of the world. You're not being asked to trust the flesh. You're not being asked to trust your past learning. You're not being asked to trust the images. You're being asked to trust the Holy Spirit and trust the one who is the bridge back to eternity. The one who will give you whatever you seem to need in this journey and will renew it for as long as you have need of it. Whatever you seem to need, it will be given you and it will be renewed as long as you have need of it. But also the Holy Spirit would not have you linger, would not have your mind lingering in time because it is not of time. Your mind is of eternity. God is of eternity. Christ is of eternity. And the Holy Spirit would not have you linger in time. That is not your inheritance. The things of time is, are not your inheritance. Eternal happiness and love and joy, that's the inheritance. And so that's why things will seem to fall away. Things that have been with you maybe for days or months or years or even decades may start to dissolve. And that's part of the plan as well, because our, our will is to be one with God. Sometimes I would ask those questions, what, what is God's will? I mean, it, people talk about God's will and they relate it to things and, and happenings in the world, but actually God's will for you is perfect happiness. That's what God's will is, for perfect happiness. Not partial happiness, perfect happiness. And it, as we approach that will, we of course would have to let go of holding on and believing what seems to contradict God's will, which is this world of time and space and duality. God is one. This world is a world of two and of multiplicity. And so it will begin to, to fade. The ego may even say it will seem to crumble, but but something that's not really real can't really crumble. <laughs> it's just a loosening of the belief in it is what's happening. Nothing is really being destroyed. Nothing is being taken away. This isn't a pathway of deprivation. This isn't a pathway of lack. This is not a pathway of loss. But the ego will say, that all those things are real and all those things are, are something to be avoided. 
and then it will give you all kinds of wild goose chases in time and space to try to avoid the loss, avoid the lack, avoid the the loneliness and the sadness and it's they never succeed. We we have tried. We pursued many of those roadways and and we just get there. We're just at the end we're saying, What was I thinking? What was I thinking? I think I've done this before. <laughs> it feels like I've reached the same dead end that I did before. And it's like why what was I thinking trying this again? It's all part of that uh, that trust and letting go. So while we have a little time here, about a little bit over an hour, I again will open up I've turned the chair here because the it's very uneven up here on the plank. So I will scoot my chair back. If anybody would like to join me up here for some of the, what seems to be the dismantling and the un- unwinding and everything like this, it's, there we go. It's, it's kind of, it's, yeah, you're right here. That's that's good. We have somebody to assist you to come. <laughs> you can hop right on. For those of you who don't know me, I'm I'm Peter, and uh, it's um, such a blessing mm-hmm. to be here. And I I do want to bring up uh, the movie the other night and my experience after the movie. That was the one, Forever My Girl. Yes. 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 And uh, I was very conflicted in the movie because in the commentary afterwards, a lot of people really were really got into it and they, were, they really loved it. And there was a part of me that wanted to, like, wanted to be there, wanted to, wanted to be really into this movie. And there was another part of me that was saying, um, like someone, someone else commented, like, this is this is not real. This is this is an illusion. You know, this is this is um, almost promoting special relationship. Um, and uh, Nick Rudy said it was a cl- cliche. <laughs> that was a nice succinct reaction. <laughs> yeah, that's a cliche. <laughs> so I, I went back to my to my tent and I was lying there and just not not sleeping. And then uh, I was kind of replaying my thoughts, ju- and and uh, my thoughts during the movie, and and, um, and I'm I'm seeing you there, David, and I'm seeing you, and you're you're just looking at the movie screen, and and you've got this big big smile on your face, and, and you you're just loving loving it, you you're really so into it, um, and. Uh, and th- there's me sitting there judging judging you and saying yeah doesn't he doesn't he you know and this is all spiritual ego this is this is uh you know like it's all bullshit but um but it's like me judging you saying saying you know doesn't he doesn't he know this is this is not real like i like i know I know best, you know, like I know. Um, 
and it's all it's all it all needs to come up to the come up to the light to to be healed like it's it's um, the spiritual ego to me is almost like it's just so insidious and so it's it's kind of like the perfect hiding space hiding place for for someone who's who who has this spiritual bent and wants to you know uh really feels uh like a like a seeker yeah like a sincere seeker yeah and this mm-hmm. is the sneakiest veneer yes and mm-hmm. even when you look at those two words put together spiritual ego if the ego is the denial of everything spirit then even those two together you know it's almost like military intelligence yeah. it, it's on the same yeah. same line of that people go military intelligence yeah. you know yeah. but it's good too because my experience too is as you go into the healing then you feel you kind of just join in you merge with the spirit and you feel so much gratitude for the love that the tears come regardless of the movie or the person or the scene or whatever you just when you merge in with that spirit you are so grateful that oftentimes i find tears to this day even during that movie tears will just start to squirt and come out and and the smile on my face is is again the, the part of the gratitude like i feel so much gratitude for that and then if we get into look at what that spiritual ego thing that veneer might be is for example you read the course and you look at those 31 chapters in the text and then there's you say wait a minute he spent 9 chapters on special relationships because in in relation to this this movie let's just take those those 9 chapters from 15 to 24 and say wow he's talking not only about special hate but he goes really in depth into the special he calls it special love relationship he's saying you're almost to heaven you've come so close you only have one more thing to get past and you're there and the special love relationship is this one thing it, he calls it the ego's most boasted weapon when jesus uses words like ego's most boasted weapon you know that it's important and why why would he spend 9 chapters on one topic he doesn't spend 9 chapters specifically like that on anything else but right in the middle of the text from 15 to 24 he's talking about that and so the thing about it is when you read those chapters i remember i used to go to spend a lot of time with ken and gloria and i had a friend of mine who worked in the kitchen dorothy and when Ken would go and go through those chapters on a workshop, maybe 100, 120 people, they would they would have to buy in the kitchen like four or five times as much food as they had for most workshops. Because when people would start to even explore what you're exploring, they would just stuff their faces. They were just... They could... They, they had huge appetites. They were, they had to go extra food and everything because the resistance to going at what you're bringing up was so enormous that they were just stuffing their faces throughout the whole workshop. And I bring all that up to just give the context that 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 this is more where somebody works with the course and then they start to identify 
from those nine chapters what specialness looks like in form. And that's where the the pride can come in, the holier than thou, like this sense of I know intellectually from reading those nine chapters what the special relationship looks like when really the specialness is that, like everything else, it's in the mind. It's a mm -hmm. filter of what, what you're looking through. It's not the form, but it's the it's the filter that is the problem. And all those, even those nine chapters, he still will talk about the relationship as if they're personal. He will talk about the healed relationship section, one of the most amazing sections in the book. You know, talks about these two who are drawn together and then they call upon the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit into the relationship. And then he says, they are appalled after they've invited the Holy Spirit in because the Holy Spirit has entered. And it's the ego that's appalled because the the purpose and the structure of the relationship is so different from what it was when it was formed that it is actually appalling. And so I think you're you're picking up on this idea that there is a use that the ego has for relationships that is completely the opposite of the Holy Spirit's, that, that there is no real happiness or joy to be found at all in that purpose, whether it's hate or it's the illusion of love, the fantasy of love, that you're picking up on that. And, and yet, what I would say when you go deep enough into the teachings of, of the Course and forgiveness and mysticism, that actually what forgiveness really is, is overlooking the error. So the most frustrating phase is when you're starting to identify the error, but you're still tempted to see it in this form or that form, and you have to come to a place with the Holy Spirit where you completely overlook the error entirely. Jesus says the Holy Spirit overlooks the error and looks to the light of the atonement. The Holy Spirit is able to overlook the defiled altar. Ooh, sounds pretty intense. The defiled altar of your mind. Ooh, <laughs> that sounds like the fall from grace. That sounds like hell. That sounds like something that, that you don't want to mess with. <laughs> the defiled altar, and he's, the Holy Spirit looks, overlooks the defiled altar to the light of the atonement. So I find once you go into the Course deep enough, you will start to see that, wow, this Course is really asking me to join with the Holy Spirit so fully that no matter what images are on the screen, no matter what I appear to be perceiving through the body's eyes, that I'm more interested in merging with the the correction. I'm more interested in staying with that presence. Yes, that, that's all I want. Yes. That's all I want. Um, yes. Um, I'm so, so grateful for this coming up. So, so grateful. Because I'm being shown. I'm being shown my arrogance. Um, you talked about specialness. Yeah. Ego was saying, aren't I special? 
I, I know more than David does. Aren't I, aren't I special? I'm one of those rare few that can actually see the truth. And it's all BS. It's really humbling. Yeah. Humbling. Humbling is the word. Humble. Humbling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Humble me. Humble me. Father, humble me. And that's, that's why it's, um, you know, we've had fun with different things when, when you try to spot error or spot mistakes or, or spot uh, things that are in need of correction. And uh, that, that was an amazing passage, and more in the earlier part of the text than these, uh, these chapters, but where he's talking about the correction of error. And uh, he's basically coming out and saying, your brother is always right. Even if he is speaking insanely, <laughs> he is always right. That's like a mind bender as you're at the beginning of the course, like, always right? Did he say always right? And, and then never correct a brother. Never correct a brother. You know, you start to read those lines and it's like, what kind of state of mind is that that never corrects a brother, that just is so fully in the grace, radiating the grace, that there's not even a correction of a brother. And then there's another hint that he gives us a little bit later in the text, where he's, it's really, it's not too far along there at all, where he says, um, it's dangerous to analyze the motives of others. Oh my gosh, if, when, imagine when we were growing up, if somebody had said, it's dangerous to analyze the motives of others. We would be like, what? What soap opera are you watching? You know, what, it's dangerous to analyze the motives of others. But then he doesn't even stop there. He says, he gives us the reason why it's dangerous to analyze the motives of others. Don't you love that? Where Jesus not only gives you the most amazing idea, then he tells you why. He says, because you can't do it without your without using your own ego. In other words, to analyze the motives of others, you must be using the ego. And if you're using the ego, you're strengthening and reinforcing the ego. You should be using the Holy Spirit to look upon your brothers and sisters, not analyzing their motives through your ego filter. So, don't you love it? He gives you a great idea that will save you a lot of heartache. <laughs> and a lot of mind energy, and then he gives you the rationale behind it, like he explains it. And that's how loving our way-shower is, you know, he, he is so wise, he knows what's best for us in any given seeming situation, and he's given us a workbook that says you do not perceive, in, in any situation, you do not perceive your own best interest. That's, that's another one of those humbling ex things to take on. Yes. Mm -hmm. What ego was telling me was, I know, I know, I know, when in actual fact, I know, I know nothing. I know nothing. Um, one of my intentions um, in coming up here too is to just, just be of service, you know, just serve and I... I feel like maybe this might be helpful to my brothers and sisters out there, and uh, that's why that's why I'm here. 
Emily mentioned the spotlight. I heard your name. So there you go. You're here and then this afternoon right out into to be of service. Here I am, Lord, to yes. be of service. Yes. Thank mm -hmm. you, Peter. That's yeah. that's a beautiful, beautiful witness. Thank you. Yeah, here I am. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Here I am. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> on camera and everything off the off the the screen of the virtual and <laughs> I know <laughs> right here on the drawbridge stage <laughs> feels like we're in some kind of pirate movie or something <laughs> so david i've been following you way too long <laughs> I remember those days, yeah. little Julia in uh, Boston, yeah, yes. yeah. Way too long. Why is my head so thick? Why is my will so thick that I just can't surrender? I mean, for years I have been following you. All you had was a car back then and whatever, peace house. And I just keep wanting to, like, I have the calling, but then I say, oh, but it's not yet. Because everybody else is so strong that here I am, you know. And I'm like, I, I listen to you every day for years. And I still can't take that plunge. Like, what is the plunge? What is my function? I don't know. What my, I want you to tell me. Because I am done. Well, it's beautiful because you've always been so gracious, whether it was us going to a course meeting in Boston and you bringing Julia along, who's now not little Julia anymore, and her going into a meditation, you know, in the circle together at the course group, or me visiting your house and... You picking me at the airport in this amazing convertible sports car, and us flying along in your sports car with the wind in our faces, and and staying at your house and starting an unwind your mind group there, of joining in and on LM virtual on on coming to online retreats, and then even more recently, I've seen on Facebook there's just a group of you uh, that after you had heard Pete speak on one of the online uh, retreats, that you were very touched there and, and with Eric, and then forming a, a very amazing online group and, and having very deep, uh, those kind of sessions. It's happening. You know, you, we talked about the spirituality on a spectrum. It's happening it's it's actually i'm watching and seeing the events as it's it's happening the you're being drawn in to your purpose to your function and like so many you know you've you know being the mother of these children you 
have been very identified with that role and very identified with maybe being like a single parent and a provider. And those are very important things in your life. In other words, those that's part of the context in your mind of what you've been dealing with. Even when you take it off the surface of the images, you go inside and you go, I, I have a, something to fulfill and that's all been part of your special function. It's I think the problem you get into is when you start to compare special functions like, well, the special function for me has looked like putting all my care and devotion in to working with raising these children. There's been lots of miracles along the way. There's been lots of times where you've been provided for in unexpected ways, the same as the mystics and saints had that as well. But somehow, I think the, where you get into difficulties and struggles is you start to comparing special functions. And these are highly individualized from the Holy Spirit. They're, the ego is the, you know, the comparing device. You know, it, it, he, he says in the Course, comparison must be an ego device, for love makes none. Love never compares. Love just is love. Love is unified. Love is one. Love loves. That's all love does. And then this ego is always comparing. You know how it goes, even on the spiritual journey. You see, well, so-and-so is meditating, and now three, four, five hours a day, and so-and-so is out there traveling, and oh my God, they joined a monastery, and oh my, this and this, and, and I'm here in Phoenix. And, and then it starts to draw the comparison. And that's where the, the struggle comes in. Like others have done this and others have taken these steps. But actually, you know, this, the Holy Spirit, we have to give our allegiance to the Holy Spirit and say, the Holy Spirit knows what's best and it's highly individualized. And as I am guided to take steps and unwind, then I'm doing the very best that I can be doing based on what I believe in. The Spirit's calling me toward the light, like He's calling everyone, and I'm taking my steps. And that's actually very common for us, that people will join with us digitally. I remember the first year we even had that LM Virtual, there were people that were joining digitally, and then all of a sudden they started showing up here or showing up there, and we were laughing like, wow, they're popping off the screen, and it's still the screen, you know. Even when they show up at your your doorstep, it's still the screen. They're not really coming off the screen, but it's just which is symbols of like of coming in, coming in. And so, when we say, when you say, what is my function? The ultimate function is is forgiveness, is seeing the sameness of everything in the world. But the ego is a is a preference package. It has its preferences, it has its values, of, it thinks it knows what's more important, what's less important, what's a priority, what's not a priority. And the Holy Spirit is aware of that preference package, aware of the ego, and, and also going to incorporate even the things that the ego prefers in part of an unwinding from those preferences. So how gracious is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is not ever judging against the mind. The Holy Spirit is just going to use what the ego made to take the mind home into that divinity. Using what the ego made to take the mind, to lift the mind up into a high state of mind, 
that still is the tippy top of consciousness and then and then beyond consciousness to reality and so you know you have been willing i remember too that time when you you actually came to camas to the metaphysical center and and a lot of your work had been in data management and so forth and and even that it was just like peter saying how humbling it was i remember you were there and different ones were working with you jason and different ones and and here was this whole i know mind package that was around data management and then when you tried to use that i know mind there it started to to crash it was it didn't flow and then that was a big like i thought i at least knew that that's my profession when you start to find even your professional knowings and skills aren't what they seem to be uh people have come that help out with the festival that are have skills in in sound and and technical equipment or whatever but it's they still find in order to find that harmonious sweet spot that they still have to let go of thinking that they know is what's best in a particular situation and that's just a situation to pray together where you get a group of people together the first studio that we did in the metaphysical center we had a man there who had worked for the bbc and we had people there that were professional uh uh recording they one man had recorded Whitney Houston and Blessed Union of Souls he was like a recording engineer at the top and then someone from the BBC and, and people who had lots of skills and abilities and they all were thrown together in the same studio and it was chaos it was just like a, throwing a bunch of egos together in a small studio and everything was going haywire things were dropping things were popping things were breaking uh because it was all an undoing of the pride in knowing these things and that was what was getting dismantled and i was laughing because i i was thinking that's what it's all for to me even when things go look like the three stooges uh just going haywire i can feel the love underneath that's saying oh no this is all for the good this is undoing of pride I some of you I mentioned too of Lila who was part of us here and she was the one I put in charge of the campground below that you we've all been using and she'd come from a corporate world but that I put her in charge of of uh building the campground and uh she had men working in her team that were they were construction they were all these things that were seemed so practical and the men were were just astonished that i would put this woman who had come out of corporate who knew nothing about construction in charge of the construction team but for for me it was just an instruction from jesus but that would help her have an opportunity for communication to co- learn to communicate as an equal but to pray and listen and then speak up to the team what she was receiving and it was it was a big thing for her to do that but we know where that took her you know by the time before she passed away she was in such lightness and joy and love and all those things were like part of the steps that she had to take even though there was a lot of uh i mean i would walk in on one of the meetings and people were just shaking their heads like you you can't tell me that this is the way the team is we're not going to have a campground 
if this if this is the configuration of the team, we're not going to have. It's just going to be just a pile of dirt, you know, and we're not going to have anything down there. I said, no, no, just trust, just have faith. And so that's that's what you have to give for yourself, is you have to say, I have faith in myself. I have faith in the, the way that things have been unfolding. I have faith in the pace that things have been unfolding. I have faith in the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit knows exactly what's being done and, and the pace and the timing of everything. And it is pretty rare. I mean, uh, in our community, you know, we've had some of the elders who just early on kind of gave their life over. Lila was one of them. Um, even this monastery that we're in, um, what's underneath it was Suzanne Sullivan was married. She was getting a divorce. And so she donated her half of what was the Edge Retreat Center. That's what it was. She had used it for Course in Miracles and Buddhists and Lamas and lots of great awakening things. She do donated her half and then we still needed another half of the money. Lila ended up putting, I think, her father's house. He had passed away. She had inherited up on the market and her house up on the market. Right there in 2008, you remember when the big crash came, the global crash? That was when we needed the money for this was was right at the beginning of everything had crashed. Properties weren't selling and Lila was guided to put up these two properties and they sold in the middle of the biggest crash in recent history. When nothing was selling, they sold and then that's how, that's part of the little story, background story of how we're all here, you know, experiencing this monastery. It's all faith. It's all Jesus, Holy Spirit are in charge of everything and all it is is follow the guidance and just be willing to follow the guidance and step through and do the things that are given and then trust that everything's going to work out. And it's no different for your life and no different for my life. So I don't see that really anything's gone wrong. I see that your heart is coming more and more into this. Even these new online uh, groups that you've been part of, you can feel the fullness there. You can feel the Spirit active drawing you and, and I don't think we, we are not capable of looking at the plan and, and judging we weren't in function or something went wrong or some something was a flaw or a mistake. I feel like it is unfolding beautifully and you'll feel it when that step comes for something just like with this these online groups it just came strong. I tried to give it to Eric and he wouldn't take it. <laughs> Eric's smiling. <laughs> it was, I'm like, Eric, they like you more. You have more followers. They'll come. <laughs> and he goes, no, I'm not feeling it, Kelly. Please, Eric. No. Well, too, recently on, on the, sun, Saturday, or was it, yeah, the Sunday shows when you came on with Laverne, Oh my that God! You that you had such willingness to do that, and then your dog, <laughs> barking at just the right points. We all were in stitches at Camus. We thought this is a comedy team, <laughs> you know, with you talking, and it was more like your dog was urging you on when you would hit a key point. <laughs> you know, and we all were just 
rolling in the aisles because you have to see that the spirit has been behind all of this and you knew that that was a big step mm. to do that with Laverne and, and then your dog was right there with you the Holy Spirit was orchestrating the entire thing you know for the for the benefit of the whole the whole sonship so yeah you're right there you're right there well I'm in a real transition right now you know and I've been asking like you always say make it obvious I need you to make it obvious you know um Julia's still in college, but yet, you know, the Holy Spirit found found the way for her to get a job that's going to pay for her college education. And she moves out in just a few more days. She's always been my anchor. Well, I can't join the community because uh, Julia's in school. Well, Holy Spirit took her away in a loving way. It's good for her. So, you know, now I'm like, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do? And I keep asking, please make it obvious, like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what the next step is. So I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Well, I think you're noticing, too, that with different people, I think I'm sat on my cord here, with different people uh, starting to f- come away in your in your oh. dream. Some It's almost like people... Are, are being taken out of your immediate uh, vicinity. And that's common for all of us. When that's, It's just more of like the Spirit's like making space. So I think you're just in that point right now where it's been going on for a while. It's been making space for what's to come next. And, you know, we have people throughout history like Ramana Maharshi, you know, having that big experience. He had death experience when he was like 19, and then going off to Arunachala and leaving his, his mother, his brothers. And, you know, those are kind of dramatic examples. But for most people, Jesus says, most people are given more of a slowly evolving curriculum. That that Eckhart Tolle uh, park bench experience is a rare one. That Ramana having that big experience and just saying, bye, and later his mom would come and join him on the mountain. But you know, those are very rare. And so I think you can just just rest in that right now and saying, okay, I'm being prepared and things that that I held as as not yet because of this are starting to slowly be taken away. That's just a preparation. It's just opening more of a spaciousness. So when you keep praying, make it obvious, make it obvious. And then when something does come in, there won't be that immediate reaction, no, I can't because of this and this and this and that, because those things are, are slowly being taken away. And that's just really a reflection of where your mind's desire, your heart's desire is that you have a, a, a important part to play, you have a special function, it will use your skills and abilities and things that have been developed thus far. We know that much. And then you're just giving space for it. And uh, it's very much like Svava with her music. You know, she, when she was very, very young, she was quite good at the keyboard. But as soon as her parents started to put the pressure, the clamps on, and wanted to live through her vicariously and 
you know, practice and lots of practice and do concerts and make a nice reflection on the family, she reacted and stopped the keyboard completely. Like, well, I will not do this. Almost like, no, that's not what it was for. It was fun. It was playful. Mm. The spirit was coming through. But that was, after about four decades, then then the keyboard came back. Uh, it took four decades, and she was quite surprised to have it come so strong and, and so clear where she could just use the keyboard, compose and everything. But that was the spirit saying, now is the time to activate that. And the same with writing songs. She wasn't used to, she basically is channeling songs, one after the next after the next. Mm -hmm. That that was a, something that came in at the right time. You know, when she was ready, then even going out and singing with Eric, you know, if you told her that in a few months she'll be, you know, on the stage at Strawberry, she would have said, no, I won't. I, I would never be able to do that. But she did. And it was beautiful. And then I happened to be in the back corner on the couch, zooming as far as I could to record it from there and trying to hold the camera still at such a long range and then putting it up. And it's got over 5,000 views. Uh, it's, it's, it's going viral. It's just way off in the distance with no kind of real actual lens. And I was just laying there on the couch and prompted to do it. But it's obviously, there's something there that's touching people that came through that, that session that's, that's important. And yet it's all very spontaneous. It's not prearranged or pre-planned. It's just the spirit you know, activating and using things, and that's coming. That's that's the other question too: is why are we doing all this? You know, it's it's like we're playing the game in the world. We're playing on the screen with this beautiful backdrop and being up here on the stage and. You know, if we've already all awakened, why are we, why, like, you are so passionate about reaching as many people as you can. And it's like, I get it and I don't get it. I get it because thank you for doing it, because it's freed my heart, it's freed my mind, and I feel free. I'm not depressed, I'm not angry, I'm pretty lighthearted, I do... My ego still wants to know what's next. And my ego wants to know, why are you doing this? Why? What is driving you other than Jesus <laughs> yeah. and the Holy Spirit? But why are they doing this? Yeah, this, this brings us to the question of the doer again. Because you know how we, in, in the world, clearly people do things. And then when you get to the point of being done through, it's more like the puppets still may believe that the puppet is more like Pinocchio. It's like it's off the strings. It's an autonomous, real boy, real girl, real man, real woman. You may believe that, but the whole phase of, of being used in purpose is an is a experiential washing away of that belief in autonomy, like there's an autonomous doer. And so the question is really coming from the belief in the doer, and then why are you doing, you see, that's it's coming through that filter. And Kirsten mentioned that in her uh, session the other day, that she said, you know, really Jesus is behind all of this. But I don't, 
until you actually go through that that phase of being done through so much, you don't really know. I mean, it can't be the historical Jesus, some guy that lived 2,000 years ago that's, that's behind, that's pulling all the puppets and this and this, but there's a presence of love, of the, the Holy Spirit, and even those things are just metaphors too, like the idea that the Holy Spirit orchestrates time and space for the miracle worker. Wait a minute, I thought time and space weren't real, so the Holy Spirit's orchestrating something that isn't even real. <laughs> and that, you know, if you really go deep into this, you start to say, wait a minute, there seems to be contradictions in the Course. If the script is written, then what does orchestrate time and space even mean? And that's where you actually have to just surrender and, and let the the Spirit guide and go with it. And then, for me, my experience has been is that I, I'm not driven anymore. I don't feel driven to do talks or driven to travel. I don't feel driven to answer emails or driven to do one-on-ones and everything. It's all very light, but it's like I'm just observing it all, but there's no doer in it. And not only don't I see a doer with this, I don't see a doer with any of that either. So for me, when when we talk about teams and preparations and organizations and berries and all these kind of things, it's kind of, there's a big cosmic joke underneath it in the sense that the Spirit is is just watching, the, the Holy Spirit is observing this whole thing in, with such glee and such joy and such happiness. And that's been the whole point, is to be joined with that presence. Because as soon as we try to break it down into smaller pieces, then it starts to be very perplexing. Like, why this? And why that? And why does he say this? And why does he say that? And and early on I had to work with students and say, well, don't look for consistency in the words. It's like a ladder that's designed to take you up higher and higher, and you really aren't meant to be using your mind judging this rung and comparing that rung, and what's this rung mean in context of that rung? You see how the ego will even try to dismiss the course by taking different parts and metaphors and trying to pit one against the other. When really it's just it's just a, a, a book of metaphors that when you get give it all over and you connect with the Spirit, you will be drawn to those passages, those parts that really resonate for you right where you believe you are and will help you release and push off and, and, and accept another when you when you are ready. So there, there are no answers to those kind of questions because it's the filter itself that's generating the questions. Yeah, I have been worked through and have lost myself. And this is the most amazing, amazing place to be. To not even remember what you said or what you did or where you are or what day it is. So it's there. You know that feeling. Oh, I've had it many times. But then I fall out and into the ego again, you know? I just want to be in that bliss all the time. That's what I, that's my heart's desire. That's it, I know it. So just trust that, that the space is being made, you're being, everything's being prepared for what is to come next, and that will be like, oh, yes. 
except this time there won't be that forceful, harsh part that says, no, you can't because of this and this and this. The obstacles are being removed in the mind. Oh, yeah, my other daughter moved across the world. I mean, she doesn't need me anymore. She's in Vietnam, you know. So God needs me, or I need God, or I don't know why I'm here. I just want to, like that movie, who's the girl who escaped into nowhere? Her mind went. Lucy? Yeah. That's when I I identify with that, her mystical experience. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's happening. Yeah. Thank you. Sky. Hi, Sky. Um, I'm a little in an altered state right now. So, um, so thank you for your teaching, first of all, because um, it facilitated a major download. Um, I was um, called to a mystical path um, very early in my childhood. And, um, but most recently, now being in the seventh decade of my life, um, Spirit has been saying to me, um, it's not, you can't play this game with a half a heart anymore. I want all of you. And um, there's so much fear around that. And um, and at first, so I was living into that question since I've been here of what is that, what is that fear about and why don't I trust love? And, um, and so when you said, where is this all heading? It's heading toward going crazy. <laughs> that was, I understood it then, because um, I'm a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like going to insanity, going insane, but it's underneath it, it's actually moving into sanity. Right, yeah. right. And, but the da- and the download that came through was that I felt as a child that I would be killed for what I saw. And and the curious thing is I've just been diagnosed with macular degeneration, which means I could go blind. And so I've been working on also on the level of trying to heal what that's about, you know. So I could get killed for what I see, for what I how I see through and and I did get punished a lot for seeing through things and 
so it it created this tremendous insecurity in me, you know, this life and death kind of insecurity. And so I've been kind of holding on to this insurance policy, you know, trusting God, but holding this insurance policy just in case somebody wants to kill me. And I have to let go of that. (laughs) So I guess I'm up here just because I sort of need to declare that. And the other thing that came through in that download, though, was, you know, this having this picture of myself as as this mystical child that I was when I was so young. And and hearing spirits say to me, don't you see who always belonged to me? And so trusting love takes on a whole different meaning from that perspective. And so I'm I'm hoping I can hold on to that to face that fear, you know. Yes. Well here we could use some tissues. Yeah, it's it's like in a world where everything is a denial of that truth of who we are, you know, it helped me. I mean, even the first time when I read in the Course where Jesus said, this world is backwards and upside down, and I had to just stop at the end of that line and just go, wow, backwards and upside down. Almost like that Lewis Carroll, you know, Alice, and when she goes down the rabbit hole, the proportions, everything is is so radically different. But when you mentioned too, let's talk a little bit about the eyes and the macular degeneration and what does that mean in, in the larger context of things, because that's how it's coming through for you now, specifically, as a psychologist, a diagnosis and so forth. There was a time when Helen Shuckman, the scribe of the Course, was over at Columbia Presbyterian Medical Center where she worked with Bill and she absolutely went blind. She, it wasn't, she was, things faded away from her, but she, for a day, she was blind, and and they took her across the street uh, to see a neurologist, because it was such a striking thing to suddenly go completely blind. And the neurologist ran all the tests, and they couldn't find anything wrong, not a single thing through the scientific model. And then she turned to Jesus, and Jesus explained the whole thing to her from a higher perspective. This always helps, because we need to know from a higher perspective. It's very frightening from a lower perspective. It's calming from a higher perspective. And basically Jesus said, you seeming to go blind, you know, is a symbol of your fear of Christ's vision your fear of true seeing. So the fears in the mind, the fear of that light, that vision, is projected then onto the body, and it seems to be the thing of going blind. 
So that's an important thing to remember with everything because it helps to put things in a in a perspective. Yeah. We can start to go, oh, it helps to be what is actually going on and to be told from above. And that's the same fear of, of love that when people have revelatory experiences or when they see visions of angels or Mother Mary and things, there's a fear that can arise in the mind because it's so far out of the box. Yeah. But, but what it's really triggering is the fear of love and the fear of light. Another parable I'll tell you is that um, in the parable of David, there was one character in the dream that was of unconditional love where I never could seem to ever do anything wrong in the eyes of this one character. It was my grandmother. I could do anything. She just always loved me unconditionally, never had a harsh word to say, never uh, was never got angry at me. Just amazing to have a character that's just reflecting unconditional love and acceptance. But she lived to be 99, and when she got, I forget what year it was and what age, but I remember I was taking her to the symphony, because we had a, a, a relative who played uh, violin in the symphony at the Cincinnati, at the at this uh, beautiful place where the symphony was playing and then we went to the symphony and at the end we were walking, I was holding her arm because she couldn't walk too well, we were walking across the parking lot and one eye uh, I, think, I think one or maybe um, maybe one and part of, of another one just went, completely went out and she just stopped, she was walking and she just stopped and I hit her arm and she turned to me and she seemed very calm, but she just said very simply to me, Dave, I can't see. So she was had was diagnosed with macular degeneration, but I was right there at the very moment with her arm and my arm at the moment when when she lost her sight. But I noticed how calm she was. And she just said very matter-of-factly, Dave, I can't see. And we just joined there at that moment, then I just kept carrying, kept holding her and very carefully to the car, kind of like suave with her mystical experience. And things continued on where that was for some years, that was her life. And and yet the people around her responded and cared. The spirits amazingly, lovingly, that even with something like seemingly yeah. losing eyesight, she was still able to radiate her love and her presence, and she'd been very independent. A lot of us who've had professions, and you know, we become these yeah. wear this mask of this autonomous professional. I can take care of myself, and and this is kind of the symbol of that mystic child. You were always mine. Is his spirit is bringing that back, saying this whole thing that seemed to be your life. You're really. You live and move in me. I've been there watching over you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not abandon you. There will seem to be transitions in your perception, but I remember she stayed in her apartment with her macular degeneration actually living there, and I would go visit her, and and she couldn't see things clearly, but she still could see some some shadows and some movements. And she so loved to take care of animals that 
she would eat her food and whatever was left over, she could barely see, she was cutting the food up even though she couldn't see. And feeding the birds, she saw some movements outside that she intuitively knew were birds and even with macular degeneration was feeding the birds, loving people, having these deep conversations, pouring out her love for years yeah. with the macular degeneration and ended up in a in a nursing home um, with macular degeneration in a wheelchair. One time I went to visit her and I, I walk into this nursing home, Deer Park Nursing Home, and it looks like a ghost town. I was like, I'm looking around and where are the people? Where's the staff? Where is everybody? I'm looking down these empty halls. So I wander in there, I'm walking around, they're all in the cafeteria, and she's there in a wheelchair with her macular, leading the whole place in songs, old devotional songs to God. <laughs> and, and then her mind, dementia, so she's macular degeneration and dementia, and she's often the, leading the whole institute in songs of glory to God. And I'm like, there you go. You know, yeah. these were helpful symbols for me yeah. that even though with the diagnosis of dementia, even with the macular degeneration, she got more and more into her function, more into her joy, more into her radiance as these things seem to be taken yeah. away. This is the opposite of how the world, of course, sees everything. <laughs> the world sees it from a body perspective, like, oh, I'll be a burden, uh, I'll be dependent on so many people, dependent on insurance and dependent right. on all these things. But we have to realize that, that if we're willing and we really go with the Spirit, that everything in all of time and space will be taken care of. Spirit has actually been um, presenting me with lots of images of that. I don't, I don't feel the terror of that so much as... I feel the terror. Uh, I I feel both afraid of feeling the fully the beams of love, and of not, you know. And I work with elders right now. I work with elders in nursing homes, and and probably every day I see five people who who can't see, you know. So I have all these images for how to be in that place, you know, yeah. That's part of the transition, and in, and you're even aware of the fear of that love that's yeah. even beyond that. And and it's a let go, you know, even today for, for Spava, she was moving very, very slowly, but that takes a lot of trust when you seem to lose a functionality that is in perception that you... Yeah very much equate with living. Right. And then you associate a loss of functionality from this perceptual world with big problems, like major problems. Right. And all of that is just a projection to guard against, of, here I am, Lord, the, the very thing I was just talking to Peter about, you know, that really I trust you, I'm with you all the way, Lord, I'm in your tractor beam to use a a Star Trek metaphor, I've already given the command from my heart, beam me up, <laughs> and I'm in the tractor beam, and then still I have to 
have that faith and surrender to show me the way, you lead the way, I'm coming, you know, you're calling, I'm coming. All the way back to that little mystic child who, who intuitively knew things that the world seemed to contradict or even seemed to, to punish uh, right. when you saw things and knew things. And, and now your prayer of your heart is, I want to see with the vision of Christ. I'm, I'm coming into that light. And that's true seeing. It's another thing that I remember, I like from the workbook, where Jesus comes out and says, the body's eyes do not see, and the body's ears do not hear. Isn't that radical to be told that from a human perspective, the body's eyes do not see and the body's ears do not hear? That's just preparing us for spiritual vision, you know, for coming back into our beingness. And and yet I love how straightforward Jesus is because that's the master and yeah. he's already been through this and he's just leaving a lot of breadcrumbs <laughs> on the trail and we need those breadcrumbs, you know, those help us. Yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to this question, but how how do you learn to tolerate the that level of intensity or arousal? You know, that that feels frightening to me. You know, um, of that full seeing and full experience of divine love. You know. Yeah, I don't. I I think it only comes when you're ready. You know, even that that level. Like I've had three revelatory experiences where the world just disappeared completely and obviously I must have been ready for that. And it was disorienting. It's the re-entry, seeming re-entry into time and space that's disorienting. And, and our prayer is for it to be gentle. That's what Suave is taking a very quiet day today after that full-blown mystical experience just to, to be very gentle with ourselves, nothing to be rushed, nothing to be pushed, nothing that we have to do, you know, to have that and, and learn to, to cultivate that, to be especially gentle with ourselves and gentle with our mind. Because yeah. this is a big transition. It's going from upside down to right side up. That's enormous. Yeah. And so, it, and it's good to be able to come here and share as you're sharing and be able to talk openly about this. I know you were on my list for one-on-one, yeah. -on -one, so I'm so happy that you came up. And now everyone got to benefit from the blessing of what you've just done and shared. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.